Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. Welcome to the year of the rabbit. Interestingly, the last year of the rabbit was in 2011 when many commodities hit their highest level in history in real terms, of course, if not in nominal. And that, of course, was on the back of supportive Chinese policy for metals demand, which brings us nicely back to today. The sentiment shift on the back of China's COVID policy pivot over the past couple of months has been nothing short of astounding. If anything, many data points deteriorated in December as infection rates jumped. However, we are undeniably in a part of the cycle where bad data is viewed as backward-looking and 2023 expectations are being pushed higher. To be clear, we also expect Chinese metrics to improve after the looming data vacuum that is always Lunar New Year. However, with expectations now so strong and with a post-holiday infection wave likely, there is an increasing risk of some relative data disappointment at least into the late first quarter. It kind of feels like some metals are now being priced for China perfection. So what to focus on? Steel prices are always a good real-time barometer of underlying activity, being a very liquid spot market. We'll also be keeping a close eye on rebar inventory to see how quickly, or even if, the all-important construction sector is coming back. And I do want to remind everyone, however, that it's not like a switch flicks after the Lunar New Year holiday and the Chinese economy is suddenly back at full speed. This is the largest worker migration in the world, and holidays often extend a few weeks, particularly with this year when restrictions have previously made going home difficult. So realistically, it might be four to six weeks before we can establish a picture of exactly how things are looking for China's industrial economy for 2023. Coincidentally, that's right around the time of the BMO Global Metals Mining and Critical Minerals Conference. Until then, well, it certainly feels like no news will be taken as good news for metals. Staying on the China topic, we published a report this week looking at the key China commodities-related data for 2022 as a whole. Um, And we're going to quote some of the more interesting ones. Well, last year wasn't just bad for real estate data, it was awful. We know that new starts, well, they fell 39% on a year-on-year basis, and completions fell 15% year-on-year, reflecting the pressures on developers to reduce leverage and manage their balance sheets. We expect a positive year, of course, in 2023, but certainly not fully offsetting last year's drop. With Real Estate Week, well, other areas of fixed asset investment did have to step up to underpin economic growth. Interestingly, infrastructure spending outside of electricity, which in itself was strong, rose 9.4% year-on-year, having shown relatively stagnant growth over 2020 and 2021. Now, one area where China had a stellar 2022 was in energy transition metrics. While installed power capacity in the country rose 7.8% over 22 and 22 levels, while solar installations rose 60%, 87 gigawatts added. That's huge. Installed solar capacity is now 390 gigawatts, while that of wind power is 370 gigawatts. This momentum will continue into 2023. The NEA in China looking to add another 160 gigawatts of wind and solar additions. State grid budget is up. Uh, It's up at 520 billion RMB this year. EV sales, well, they rose 96% year on year. They're going to rise again likely this year, though, albeit at a slower pace. China continues to lead the way in energy transition. Turning to copper, well, relative to industrial metal peers, copper demand in China performed pretty well last year. Uh, 2.9% year-on-year growth, uh, that's about 14.4 million tonnes on a refined copper basis. It's below the average of the past 10 years, but it did mark acceleration from 2021. 
Copper inventory, of course, also dropped for the second year in a row. Copper concentrate imports, they hit a new high, 25.3 million tonnes gross weight, that's up 8% year on year, despite relative weakness in material arriving from Chile. Cathode imports, they were down on 2022's peak level, but they were still up 7% on a year-on-year basis. Now turning to aluminium, uh, China's aluminium output, that rose again in 2022, is up 4% year-on-year, and it exceeded 40 million tonnes uh, for the first time. China's share of global aluminium production is now 59%, that's versus less than 10% at the start of the century, shows the dominance in China's growth. Demand for aluminium, though, fell 1.3% year-on-year. That's a third annual reverse, actually, in the past five years, while semis exports rose 14% year-on-year to over 6 million tonnes for the first time. It's also looking increasingly like Chinese steel production has peaked. 2022's just over a billion tonnes was the second consecutive fall, though it's the third consecutive year over the 1 billion tonne mark. Steel demand fell, I guess, well. It was down 2.6% year-on-year to 953 million tonnes. A huge figure, but definitely now starting to decline. In iron ore, we saw all just over 1.1 billion tonnes of imports, down 1.6% year-on-year, also falling again, second consecutive year. But interestingly, imports from outside of Brazil, Australia and South Africa dropped to around 100 million tonnes per annum in the fourth quarter. That's less than half the level we saw in the third quarter of 2020. Implied Chinese domestic iron ore consumption, which we do view as a swing factor, that fell about 20 million tonnes year-on-year. Uh, last year, though it was still the second highest output level since 2014. In summary, clearly, metals demand was impacted by our lower economic growth last year, though perhaps not to the extent that might have been expected by headline real estate data. This owes a lot to the strength in non-real estate construction and also energy transition-related spending. Over the past couple of weeks, there has been a plethora of questions on the aluminium market, mainly with a positive slant and mainly related to the strength we have seen in copper prices. Certainly with copper around 3.6 times the aluminium price at the moment, that is the level where we start to talk about substitution potential, though this is of course a slow and steady rather than an overnight process. Aluminium prices are up a little, but there's a definite lag relative to base metal peers, arguably for a good reason. First and foremost, we don't have the same inventory tightness I've talked about in the last Metal Matters. Aluminium stocks are low by recent norms, but they're not acutely low. And you can see that in the shape of the forward curve. Also, there's a few challenges for aluminium, really some obvious ones. Number one, demand actually looks pretty poor and it's hard to see where improvement is coming from. Um, latest data from the Aluminium Association in North America shows its index of net new orders fell 8.2% year on year in December. Years a whole, down 3%. Some subsectors were even worse. Extruded shapes, down 30% year-on-year in December. So demand side doesn't look great. Secondly, there's potential Chinese supply gains. I would say we're factoring in Chinese capacity or, or Chinese primary smelter output being somewhere around 1 to 1.5 million tonnes higher in the second quarter than it is today. That's backing hydropower in western China coming back to full capacity, which admittedly is a big unknown but it is a big incremental potential supply headwind. And the other thing I would say about aluminium is that Chinese domestic thermal coal pricing is very important to the cost structure of the industry, and that's been trending a little bit lower. So actually your through-cycle clearing cost-based equilibrium, if you think about it that way, is moving down. So to me, to get a little bit more excited about the aluminium market, I have to see demand come through. 
Of course, in terms of premiums, we have seen a little bit of a rally in premiums in the US market in particular, and, and maybe fitting through into Europe over the past month. I am inclined to think that is just new year, new budgets, and purchasing managers getting out there and securing some supply. I also think the sellers are doing a pretty good job of saying, oh, oh China's going to be really good, uh, back really strong post lunar New Year. You need to secure material now. You need to pay up front. We'll have to see. I don't think that we're seeing necessarily signs of underlying demand coming back yet. Maybe a little bit of seasonal restocking, but if premiums are still going up three to four weeks from now, then I'm wrong in that view. And it does point to a little bit better demand than we're factoring in and potentially some aluminium upside. To close out this week, let's talk about gold, which has performed relatively well thus far in 2023. Now, looking back, US dollar strength, rising interest rate expectations, proved sustained headwinds through much of last year, alongside a pivot by macroasset allocators away from gold. Coming into 2023, our view was that the dollar would continue to come under some moderate selling pressure while the Fed terminal rate was expected to be reached in the first quarter, setting up a positive price move into Q2 as those headwinds pivoted to tailwinds. Ultimately, the softening of the dollar has been swifter and sharper than anticipated, while three consecutive relatively weak US CPI prints and a moderation in energy prices has seen inflation expectations cut for this year. That's leading to a lower than expected rate trajectory. Beamo Economics is now calling for the Fed to increase the target rate by 25 basis points at the February meeting, down from a 50 basis point expectation previously, before a further 25 basis point increase at the following meeting. These factors, well combined with favourable money manager positioning, strong central bank purchases, that's pushed gold prices north of that $1,900 per ounce level, that's the highest in nine months. To sustain this rally, we probably need to see macroasset allocators returning to gold. We've seen the odd day of heavy inflows into the ETFs, but there's little to suggest a marked change in sentiment there. According to the World Gold Council's data, ETF holdings have now dropped by over 400 tonnes from the peak in April to mid-January. Now we've got uncertainty, we've got geopolitical risk continuing to permeate across markets, and in addition to a near-term technical advantage, this will probably see gold decently bid for the foreseeable future. Into the second half of the year though, well, we could see that risk on sentiment and arguably the nadir in economic data will be in the rear view mirror. Might see a little bit of downward pressure on prices, but I'd have to say still remain of the view that gold prices will not return to the historical norms typically seen during an aggressive monetary policy tightening cycle. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. And every second week this year, we'll be providing our updates on the latest developments in metals and bulk commodity markets. If there's anything you'd like to hear about, do just let me know. And thank you very much again. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.